Our chapel speaker this morning is Dr. Glenn Fell. He graduated from Eastern Nazarene College 35 years ago. He went on to get his master's in agriculture at Oklahoma State University, um, and then uh, spent two years in the Peace Corps. After spending two years in the Peace Corps, he went on to get his PhD at Penn State University, and then was a missionary in the Church of the Nazarene uh, in South Africa in the Agricultural Missionary Department. He taught at Mid-American Nazarene University for 15 years in agricultural missions under the academic dean at that time, uh, who was Dr. Corliss McGee. And in the last several years, he's been working with Jubilee Farms, and that is why he's here this morning to learn more about Jubilee Farms. So will you please welcome Dr. Glenn Fell. And one more minute, Dr. Fell, I'm sorry, Professor Twining will never forgive me if I don't say from two to four today in Monroe Parlor, you have an opportunity to meet and discuss with Dr. Fell and also try Professor Twining's homemade cookies. Good? All right, good, thank you. I'll be there. Good morning, it's good to be here. I come to you this morning from Kansas. There's a picture back here, it was a picture of Kansas. I grew up in Massachusetts. I'm a New Englander by birth and, and, and heritage, but I live in Kansas now, a state that's named after a people known as the Kanza, or the Kansas, a Native American people. Um, and I've learned a lot from Native American people over the years. One of the things I learned from them that I'd like to read to you as I start is this. The Great Spirit in placing men on the earth, desired them to take good care of the ground and to do each other no harm. Very simple ethic. It's an ethic, actually, that I had already learned from a very important person in my life who is here this morning, and who was here 35 years ago this spring when I graduated from this institution. It's my father. Dad, I want you to stand up. Dad, stand up again, Dad. Dad, stand up. I'm not, I'm not done with you. My father taught me some important things. And they're relevant to what I'm going to say to you today. They were to work hard, to care for the earth, to be a servant, and to never give up when faced with obstacles. Now you can sit there. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. 83 years old. I've returned here to ENC 35 years after I graduated. But I wonder what's going to happen in your life over the next 35 years. And let me begin with this. Can anybody tell me what the world's population is today. Somebody shout it out. Hmm? It's now officially, according to the National Geographic, at seven billion. When I was a student here in the 1970s, the population of the world was four billion. It's increased by three billion since I left here. By 2000, it will increase to nine billion. Americans will soon be only 3% of the world's population. That is your world. 
That is the world you have to deal with. The strain on your environment, water, land, and air will only increase. The demand for energy will only grow. When the population was 4 billion, there were a half billion hungry people in the world. With the population now at 7 billion, there are 1 billion hungry people in the world. They are among the poorest 20% of the world's people who live on 1% of its resources, while the richest 20% live on 86% of its resources. So my question to you to start off is, how will you, as a follower of Jesus, live your lives over the next 35 years in that kind of world? In the fall of 2008, I was working at Mid-America Nazarene University in that land called Kansas. I was a laborer pulling weeds out of a landscape garden on the campus, and I was on my knees on the ground, hands caked with dirt, working outside of a building where six years earlier I had had an office. I was a full professor there with my own department in agriculture. And as I worked on that campus pulling weeds, I watched the students walking to chapel. They walked by me without even looking at me. And I thought about this. If I ever got the chance to speak to those students in chapel, what would I say to them? And so I stopped pulling weeds and I got out my journal and I wrote down a few thoughts and I want to share them with you. This is what I wrote. When you get the chance to choose rich or poor, always, always, this is a no-brainer, always choose poor. Truth is, you make this choice every day. You choose every day to be here at Mid-America. What do you think? Is that a choice of rich or poor? What are you seeking? A good job? A secure career? Financial security? What if today you instead choose to follow in the steps of Mother Teresa and go minister to the dying poor in a slum in India? Or what about working in an AIDS clinic in South Africa that visits dying mothers in remote villages? Or what about spending time on the streets of Kansas City to sit and listen to the stories of men and women with broken, break-your-heart lives? Or you fill in the blank. A rich young man came to Jesus and asked him, What do I do? I have kept all the commandments. Now what do I do? And what was Jesus' response? Choose poor. Sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, then come follow me. So I'm asking these students at Mid-America, are you ready right now to do as Jesus instructed? To choose poor? Right now, you can choose that you are going to go down to a homeless shelter in Kansas City this weekend or visit a nursing home or volunteer in an AIDS clinic. You can decide to take a semester or a year off to live in a poor community or decide right now, before you go down your career path, that you're going to join the Peace Corps. That's what I wrote down about what I would have said to those students at Mid-America if I had the chance to speak in chapel. I never got that chance. Four months later, I was on a plane to Malawi, Africa 
to purchase my ticket. I had raised half the donation of $2,000 I needed from donations. And for the other half, I got a loan from my local bank. By this time, I was house-sitting in a home that when I moved in had no running water. My car had broken down, but I had decided I was going to Malawi to find projects for my nonprofit Jubilee Farms. Should be a picture coming up soon. On February 8, 2009, I sat in a rural village in Malawi called Chimba. I sat there under a tree facing a group of orphaned children and the woman who take care of them. They were hoping I, a white man, what they call an Azungu, from the rich land called America, could help them in their poverty, hunger, and sickness. And as I flew home a few days later, I wrote these words in my journal. I still see their eyes looking at me as if I come from some kind of other and outer space, as they sit and wait, wondering what I will do. And I am wondering what runs through their minds. What do they think of this Azumu? They are smart enough to know not to hope for too much, for a better tomorrow, just because this Azumu is here looking around, taking pictures like they always do. They know even if this white man does anything, it won't be any time soon. Not soon enough to fill my empty belly or keep my body from getting sick. It won't make much of a difference to me or my child. Never has before. Why would this time be different? Wonder why this Azungu is really here. The picture you see behind me as one of those children, a little girl named Teresa, at the time three years old. When I was with them, the people in this community were eating only one meal a day, and that was maize porridge. The goal for the children was that they would get one or two bites of meat once a week. That was the goal. I left Malawi haunted by whether I could do anything to help Teresa and her community, or whether I was just another irrelevant Azungu to them. I'll get back to this story, but first, I have two questions to ask you. One I've already asked, actually, I think. Can you choose poor, and can you not do normal? They are important questions because they are questions of morality. I'm at a Christian college among followers of Jesus, so I think that most of you would identify yourselves as Christ-like or an imitator of Jesus, or at least wanting to be so. Anthony DeMello, in his book Awareness, says this, it's not a question of imitating Christ. It's a matter of becoming what Jesus was. So we have to ask the question, what was Jesus? The answer, he was a servant. In Luke 22, 27, Jesus asked his disciples this question. Who is greater, the one who sits at the table 
or the one who serves? And then he answered his own question with another question. Is it not the one who sits at the table? Well, we all know that, don't we? Clearly the one sitting at the table is the greatest, and the one serving is not. That is the world's normal, is it not? Yet then Jesus turns normal upside down. When he declared boldly, I am among you as one who serves. Wait, the Son of God, the Messiah, is among us as one who serves? That is not doing normal. Jesus was able to not do normal. So I ask you, follower of Jesus, can you not do normal? To do so, I believe, in, requires answering the first question I posed. Can you choose poor? Jesus gave us all a general instruction. In Luke 12, 33, when he declared to all his followers, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Musician Rich Mullins, who died in a car accident in 1997, spent the last two years of his life living in a hogan on an Indian reservation, teaching music to children. He had this to say in one of his last concerts, and I quote, Jesus said, Whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers, you've done to me. And this is what I've come to think. That if I want to identify fully with Jesus Christ, who I claim to be my Savior and Lord, the best way that I can do that is to identify with the poor. Christianity is not about building an absolutely secure little niche in the world where you can live with your perfect little wife and your perfect little children in a beautiful little house where you have no gays or minority groups anywhere near you. Christianity is about learning to love like Jesus. And Jesus loved the poor and Jesus loved the broken. End of the quote. Similarly, Ron Sider, author of Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, and I would say this to you, Ron Sider's book, Rich Christians in the Age of Hunger, is a book you should read. Important book. He said this, as, quoting Jesus, As you did not do to one of the least of mine, you did not do to me. And then Sider asks, What does this mean in a world where millions die of hunger each year? And by the way, it's about 10 to 20 million people that die every year of hunger. What does this mean in a world where millions die of hunger each year while rich Christians live in affluence? That's Ron Titer's question. One of my answers to that is when we see hungry people, we see Jesus. And consider Albert Schweitzer who after seven years in medical school spent most of the rest of his life as a medical missionary in Gabon, Africa, who said this, quote, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know, 
The only ones among you who will be really happy are those who will have sought and found how to serve. Close quote. He chose poor. He was able to not do normal. Or consider a name you are more familiar with, Bill Gates who now spends his life trying to end the poverty and disease of the world's two billion poorest people. That is rich choosing poor. He is able to not do normal. There's something else I want to mention briefly. I think part of choosing poor is taking time to be alone with nature. Simply observing and listening. Get in direct touch with God's creation as it was created. It will give you a desire to protect God's creation, to be a creation caretaker. It will keep you simpler. It will keep you softer. And it costs nothing but your time. But then again, your time is your life. Henry David Thoreau, author of On Walden Hong, put it this way, the cost of a thing, the cost of a thing, is the amount of what I call life, which is required to be exchanged for it. Which begs another question. Kind of get back to what I was talking about. What will you ask for in exchange for your life? Will you settle for that nice spouse family, house, car, boat, church, or will you, like Jesus, ask for nothing less than life in exchange for your life? Will you follow Jesus' instructions to all of us? Will you choose for, like Jesus, can you not do normal? I chose a career path dreaming of becoming an agricultural missionary at this college. And it forced me to intersect with people in need. It was, in fact, a career path that was choosing poor. When I went before my academic advisory committee while working on my PhD, they would always ask me why I was getting a PhD. And I would always answer, so I can go to Africa and help end hunger. Wrong answer. They wanted me to say I was going to get a nice job at a nice university and publish nice research papers. That would have been a secure career path for me with financial security. And by that time, I had a wife and two little boys. What did I do when I completed my PhD? I took a job as a researcher. No, I didn't do that. (laughs) I took my family and went to South Africa when it was being torn apart by racial tension as apartheid was coming to an end in the 80s and lived in a rural black community as an agricultural missionary for the Church of the Nazarene. It was choosing poor to sell my possessions, my intelligence, my money, my family, my abilities, my education, my health, my security, and give it to the poor and store treasures in heaven. 
to not do normal. And those are your possessions, right? Those are your possessions. Right here. <laughs> your abilities, your intelligence. You have been given the best education, the best health care, the best of everything in the world. The question is, what are you going to do with it? As a student here at EMC, I was a pretty good cross-country runner. Went running this morning, in fact. I dreamed, actually, of becoming a world-class marathoner. But when I chose to follow the dream of being an agricultural missionary, I gave up my marathon dream. I didn't completely give up running. In fact, I ran the Boston Marathon twice. I'm not going to run it this Monday. But there have been times I felt sad. I didn't ever get to find out how good a marathon runner I could have been. But then I think of children like Teresa in Africa. I think of the farmers I trained who then trained others. I think of people whose hunger ended because of the dream I did follow. I think of the students I taught at Mid-America in 15 years as an agri-mission professor, like Kendra Crow, who spent two years in the Peace Corps as an agri- uh, as in a poor village in Guatemala, and then two more in the Philippines, or Court Miller, who now works for Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, or Timothy Cole, who took his family to work as an agro-missionary in a poor region of Brazil, or Dave Balfa, who became an agro-missionary in Africa, or Keith Thompson, who served in the Peace Corps and now worked for Mercy Corps, or John North, who directed Heart to Heart International, and Dean Neal, who still works for them, or Kent Pitcher, a missionary in Guatemala, or Alicia Pluff, working at the Kansas City Rescue Mission, or Steve Latham, who directs an inner-city mission to at-risk youth in Kansas City, Kansas, and my three sons, who are my Jubilee Farms board. My oldest son now works for an international development organization in Washington, D.C. My middle son is an Army helicopter pilot, not quite sure how that happened, has made two $500 donations to Jubilee Farms and gives $100 of his tithe to Jubilee Farms every month. And my youngest son is taking time off to lead a group of college students to South Africa this summer to work with an orphanage. I have no regrets. After 35 years, I have lived a life of storing treasures in heaven, not on earth, and I would not trade it for all the marathon medals in the world. And what do I do now? 35 years out from where you sit? You know, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like seeing the future today, because I can remember sitting there 35 years ago, wondering what would happen to that guy. This is it. <laughs> 35 years later. In fact, I'm going to say, it took 35 years to get me to come back and talk again. 35 years from now, if I can do it, invite me back. I'll try to come back. Anyways, what do I do now? I'm the volunteer director of Jubilee Farms, a nonprofit I founded to train subsistence farmers in sustainable farming practices with the purpose of ending the hunger of all children. Pretty big purpose. It began with the trip to Malawi in February of 2009 that I told you about in the beginning. And now we have projects in Malawi, in Zambia, and in Kenya. It was my first trip under the name of Jubilee Farms that brought me to Chimba Village in Malawi, where I met Teresa in February of 2009, to sit in front of those faces. One of the most urgent needs discussed that day was a well for clean water. 
As I told you, I left wondering if there was anything I could do to help them as I had no financial resources at all. This past January 2011, two years later, Jubilee Farms facilitated the funding for a well in Chimba. And they now have a well providing clean water for 213 families. It's coming. <laughs> One of your own, Professor John Twining, right there, through his nonprofit, Mara International, provided the $5,000 we needed for that well. That's a picture of the children in Chimba, Malawi, celebrating the day the well was put in forming a circle, the older kids around the younger kids, celebrating. They have clean water in the village, 213 families. It is because of Professor John Twining choosing poor and selling his possessions to give to the poor that the community of Chimba, Malawi has clean, safe drinking water today. The fruit of, not, of being able to not do normal. Jubilee Farms is growing in Africa. We call it Jubilee in reference to Leviticus 25 in which God instructed that every 50th year all his people be given back the basic resources needed to earn a decent livelihood. That's what the Jubilee year was all about to be given back the basic resources they need to earn a decent livelihood. It placed a high value on equality of opportunity and was designed to avoid extremes of wealth and poverty. Not the world we live in, is it? In that spirit of Jubilee, Jubilee Farms has funded a 1,000-tree banana farm in Zambia, where we now have more than 3,000 Jubilee Farms members, in Kenya, we have funded a revolving loan program that will benefit over 500 families in the next year. And you've already heard about the well in Malawi. Our basic belief in Jubilee Farms is this, that every child in every village and shantytown in all the world has a basic human right to dream of a good quality of life and the opportunity to improve their own lives and that of their neighbors. We have a team growing in Africa serving orphans and widows. They are choosing poor. They are able and not do normal. To give you some idea of the kind of people we are working with in Africa, here are four examples. One, to raise money themselves for the 1,000 tree banana farm, 50 orphans and widows walked a total of 108 miles to do three weeks of menial labor on another farm. And for that effort, they got paid twenty dollars each. Twenty times fifty is a thousand dollars, and with that thousand dollars, they bought two hundred of the thousand trees that we did. Second example: in Zambia, when the wells in the community were drying up during the dry season, again on foot, the people were made sixteen six-mile trips every day, carrying water in buckets to orphans, widows, and disabled people. Three, to complete the well in Malawi, the people raised $1,500 themselves and did all the labor. And in Kenya, the people have come up with a slogan for Jubilee Farms. 
Keep in mind, this is all stuff that... I'm not even in Africa. I've been in Africa for a week in the last eight years. They're doing this. This is what Jubilee is about. They've come up with a slogan. It is, Bule Kule. And it means freedom from hunger and oppression. Silas, our Jubilee Farms leader there, recently sent me a text. I communicate a lot with him by texting. Um, he said this, I tell you, Glenn, it has become the order of the day here. Anywhere Jubilee is mentioned, Bule Kule follows. An old lady of 72 years almost brought me to tears of joy when I asked her about Bule Kule. And she told me, Karura Munjala Kutambo Nanende Bominifu, meaning being away from hunger, poverty, and oppression. In Zambia, our Jubilee Farm leader, uh, John Shulba, reports their slogan is Ifilamba Fwapa, meaning tears gone, food available. And in Malawi, where we did the well, our Jubilee Farm's leader, Chipichale, said this, and I quote in the letter he sent me, Why not jump? Why not jump with happiness and all shout praises to the Lord for your great blessed gift of the well, you give to save lives. These people are calling all this the Jubilee Spirit, and you can be part of it. These people, these orphans, widows, and poor farmers need your help. They need donations to provide school fees, school uniforms, and supplies for the orphans so they can stay in school and complete their education. They need donations to provide food, medicines, and blankets for the children. They need funding to support farm families. Right now we have a specific project in Zambia to provide seed for beans and peanuts. Each family wants to plant about a little over a tenth to, a, to two tenths of an acre of beans and peanuts because they're high proteins. They need that protein. The most common nutrient deficiency in Africa is protein deficiency. And they will collect the seed from that, also keep some of the seed for replanting, and some of it can be sold for cash crop. Their goal is to support 1,324 families, and it costs $15 per family to do this. Now, if you do the math on that, I, numbers I don't know what to do with, it gets almost $20,000. But they have great faith. However, you shrink it down to $15 a family, Pretty much all of us can support a family. And Jubilee Farms will send 100% of your donation to Africa. We take out no overhead or administrative costs when you donate to Jubilee Farms. You can make donations. We're getting very <clears throat> modern now because my sons are on the board. <laughs> you can make donations directly on our Jubilee Farms Facebook page. Jubilee Farms now has a Facebook page. Look it up. A lot of pictures there, but I don't have time to show you today. There's a link. Uh, oh, I also now have started a website, jubileefarms.org. And there's some cards in the back of the, of the foyer on your way out. Grab a card if you want. It's got our contact information. On our Facebook page, there's a link to our website and vice versa. On our website, there's a link to the Facebook page. And there's a PayPal button on there to donate. If you can't make a donation, you can at least... Tell your Facebook friends about us. We'd appreciate that. 
That is something you can do today to change your world by making a difference in the world of these children in Africa. And I'll tell you what, they are in prayer right now, thousands of them, for this meeting today. They've been sending me texts this morning. We're praying about this day today. You can spread Bule Kule. Don't forget, three million of these children die of hunger and poverty every year. That is six every minute. Why do we want to end the hunger of these children? I thought about that a while back, and you know what? I could really only come up with one really good reason that hit my heart. You know why I want to feed these hungry children? Because they're hungry. They're hungry. And is it too much to dream of ending the hunger of all children? Jeffrey Sachs, Columbia University economist and author of The End of Poverty, says, no, it is not. He says the richest people of the world have the means to end the extreme poverty of the poorest people in the world by the year 2025. All it takes is increasing foreign aid donations from its current level of 0.15%. That's our current level. Rich countries donate in foreign aid to poor countries. 0.15% of their gross national product. To increase it from 0.15% to 0.7%. Still less than 1%. That's 70 cents on every $100 we earn in the rich world. To end all the extreme poverty in the world by 2025. He says that's what it would take. And what kind of aid is needed? He says there are four kinds of aid that are particularly needed. One, agricultural inputs. Two, basic health. Three, education. And four, safe drinking water. The cost to do that, $70 per person in need. So, that's what I get paid for one day of substitute teaching. I do some substitute teaching these days. I get paid $70 a day to do that. Is it possible then? Will the world choose to end the hunger of all children? Will the world choose poor? Will the world be able to not do normal? I don't know. But I do know this. The kind of aid that gives poor people opportunity, like Jeffrey Sachs is talking about, that gives them opportunity, it's not just a handout, is the kind of aid that Jubilee Farms is providing. And that makes it Jubilee, right? Giving people the opportunity to earn a decent livelihood is what Jubilee in Leviticus was about. That's what this kind of aid is about. So we're, we're, we're in agreement with that. I don't know what the world will do. But I learned in Chimba Village in February 2009 that what matters is what I will do. Today, and for the next 35 years at least, what matters is what you will do. I think Jubilee Farms can end the hunger of all the children of our partners in Malawi, Zambia, and Kenya. I think that's doable with your help. As I said, they know I'm here today speaking to you. 
They are praying about it. The hungry children of Zambia, Malawi, and Kenya are wondering if you will help. They are waiting to hear from me what happened at Eastern Nazarene College. Before I close, I want to mention briefly another activity of Jubilee Farms. It is called Jubilee Village. Jubilee Village is a two-day, two-night experience, living as if you are in a poor village in a developing country. This is a picture of a group of students at Mid-America Nazarene University that did the village. In Jubilee Village, you will be poor and hungry. When I was a professor at Mid-America, I used to require my students to go through the village. And the main comment to me after was, Doc, it was life-changing. Many students changed their majors, decided to become missionaries, do development work, and even join the Peace Corps. They made decisions to live a life of compassionate service while they were in the village. We hope to have a village here at ENC next fall. I want you to participate. You will experience what it is like to live as one of your one billion global neighbors living on one dollar a day. You will leave changed and motivated to change your world. My time is up, but I want to leave you with a question, an admonition, and a scripture. And please come meet with me this afternoon. We'll talk more about this, especially the village. The question, how will you, as a follower of Jesus, live your life in a world of 7 billion people headed to 9 billion with more than half of them living in poverty? The admonition, as Jesus instructed, choose poor, like Jesus, choose to not do normal. And the scripture from Matthew 9 35 to 38 in the message. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he, Jesus, looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. What a huge harvest, he said. How few workers pray for harvest hands. Let's pray. God, thank you for these students. I pray that you will bless them today and over the next 35 years and beyond. Thank you for being with us and bless all that we do in your name. Amen.